Ladies and gentlemen, we're here at the fabulous New Way Lounge in downtown Spartanburg, South Carolina with Steve Magaha and Freddie Vandiford. We're going to talk about some Piedmont blues here today. We're going to go through ragtime and a few of the artists that made it popular in the 20s. And then we're going to talk about it when uh, Roy Bookbinder came and went and uh, played Reverend Gary Davis in the 40s or, yeah, I think our 50s or 60s or something like that. When did Roy, uh, Freddie, just to be, make clarification, when did uh, Roy come down and hang out with Pink? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah. about that, uh, exactly what time it was. I, I, it's uh, had to be in the 60s, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I think it's late 60s, early 70s. Okay. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. Um, but first of all, I want my guests to introduce themselves and uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, Steve, could you do that for us? Yeah, I'm Steve McGuire. I'm from Easley, South Carolina. Uh, my dad and I won, uh, well, won, we were presented the uh, Gene Laney Harris Folk Heritage Award in 2003. My dad played bones and I, I played guitar. Um, so, um, where are you from? Easily, Easily, South Carolina. Yeah, born in born in South Carolina. Born in South Carolina. Lived right outside of Greenville most of my life, and uh, you know, started playing guitar when I was ten years old. Um, Were you into the Piedmont Blues when you started? Were I you did. Kind of happened by happenstance. I uh, saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and I got a guitar. And the only person that I could find to teach me lessons was a friend of my grandmother's who played a two-finger style, much like Etta Baker and mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Cotton. And um, uh, she played uh, what they call a Carter scratch, which is the playing of such as that. And when I was 14, I met uh, uh, Reverend Pearlie Brown, and it's the first time I ever played a national guitar and uh, it kind of ruined me after that. Well, Freddie, uh, now we had you on here not too long ago. Uh, so uh, we went through Freddie's background of his, you know, what bands he was with and all that stuff. Freddie, um, how is it playing? How, how do you like playing with Steve? I mean, love having it. somebody that's a traditional player like that. Love playing with Steve, always have. You know, we just live so far apart. And we had other things going on, and now, as it is, uh, we're getting to do more stuff together, and, you know, I can see something in the studio pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Uh, you know, um, since, since the 60s, uh, you know, when Bill Graham started putting all the old blues players in front of the new acts and stuff like that, um, blues really hasn't left the, the peripheral vision of especially mainstream because you know I mean you know when Stevie Ray Vaughan was alive uh, he was about to take over you know he had a real a real trouble past all the way up to, to where he was at and, and had his life together and they, he was about to take over and put blues in the forefront and I, I, I think you know we, we've had some blues artists that that have tried but they've never had quite the, that Texas that Texas feel you know that he had uh, but all that stuff stems from this. Right. So all this, you know, ragtime music, I think, was popular, become popular uh, or, or started being popular in the 1800s, late 1800s, and lasted all the way up until 1920. 
after that it kind of evolved into jazz because ragtime is a, a, is a descendant of jazz or like a, only a step away from jazz and uh, the Piedmont Blues is related to drag, ragtime it's got that stride playing style like a stride piano you know and a lot of people compare it to that because of the alternating bass and and the uh, syncopate syncopation with the other notes in between all that so well, even Keith Richards he said if you don't play acoustic blues I'm paraphrasing but uh, if you don't play acoustic blues if you can't do that you, you you're not playing you might as well not be playing anything like I said I'm paraphrasing but that's that was sort of what he meant you know that's that's where it's at acoustic blues so 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 Piedmont blues through my research has was um, innovated or invented in Virginia Georgia South Carolina and North Carolina that's what they say uh, and that doesn't surprise me much because during World War one when we had Camp Wadsworth out here in Spartanburg uh, and, and plus all the train stuff going through here, we got a lot of different, a lot of different influences coming through here. Um, what, uh, in, in your opinion, what do you think the biggest influence of the twenties was, uh, Freddie, or Steve, whichever? Well, I think first we need to make a clarification between ragtime blues and ragtime. Ragtime was actually a piano style that uh, uh, was actually more like classical music than chamber uh, music uh yeah kind of and uh but the ragtime uh, uh guitar playing from around here it was um it differs from uh the playing down in mississippi uh and that there's there's more uh yeah i guess, I guess there's more uh influence from other sources rather than just uh the field hollers and the uh, uh, the deep oppression. Even though you know there was oppression here in in the upstate of South Carolina, it was nothing like we didn't have plantations here. And we had like uh, uh, tenant farmers and sharecroppers, which was just as bad. But it it wasn't that the black population was concentrated as it was down in Mississippi and uh, there was much more influences from country music you know can't have country well, music without without the blues and you can't have blues without country music no and and, and you had the vaudeville circuit going on too I think about exactly. that time which was was traveling everywhere and unfortunately you know the the African Americans and the whites of course were segregated mm -hmm. uh, each doing their different circuits and I think that that little regional circuit right there really helped to, pro to propel the Piedmont style because, I mean, you know, even back in biblical times, most people didn't travel 40 miles from where they were from, especially if you didn't have a conveyance and with if it's only your feet, you know. So I think that style had a, had a real good foothold here and it could develop itself because of that, because of the... Uh, I hate to say it, but the segregation, the segregation created the 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 magic. Un unfortunately, and you could call it magic, but it, it it's a necessity. Created it out of necessity. That would be a better word, I think. Um, I mean, you had white people playing blues, but it wouldn't it wouldn't 
you know, I mean. Uh, well, you, you have to understand also that these people, uh, they're just like musicians today. You know, um, there came a time when the record companies funneled black artists as blues. Mm -hmm. uh, white artists, even though they played the same music, even the some of the same songs, they were they were kind of forced into what they call hillbilly. But all of these, you know, it's just like bands today trying to make a dollar out out playing. They, these people would play any kind of, of music you wanted to if you threw, you know, a dollar in your hand. Uh, I saw that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw. I saw they some. Did that. Yeah. yeah. And you, you know, speaking of the sharecroppers, I, I don't know how to say it, but I grew up in the country. You know, my dad mm. was military, so I was out there yeah. in the country most of the time. There was a family of sharecroppers that was my best friends mm -hmm. when I was a little little kid, you know, five, six, seven years old. And I would go to their house, and I would get to hear Sam Cooke, B.B. King. Oh, yeah, whole, whole like different influence. And then when I go to my grandfather's house, I'm listening to the Wilburn Brothers and Flat and Scruggs. And yeah. So, I mean, that's how, you know... Well, you know, but well, we had a lot of uh, soldiers around here during that time too, and they brought a lot of influence because they weren't from the area. Most, you know, some of them weren't from the area; they're from different areas. I'm sure, they brought a guitar too, and people picked up stuff. Uh, see, that's the one thing people forget about Spartanburg is is during during uh, I think they used two thousand acres for the World War II one, Camps Wadsworth. So that brought a lot of pa cats in here, and that probably helped propel the music a little bit. But in the '40s. They had over a quarter million cats come through Camp Croft in four years. And I think that's where Sparkle, uh, Spar Spartanburg got the Sparkle City, uh, I think, moniker back in that time. I'm not real sure about that. So, uh, but, uh, so we've had a lot of opportunity here in this little hub city region for a lot of melting, a lot of influences to con to, to congrue here to, to, and to... Uh, uh, flourish um, and I, I you know it's a shame that most all the innovations come from military stuff you know it's a shame that we can't have peacetime innovations that outweigh those like I say I grew up in the military yeah so you know firsthand but let me say again about I said family of sharecroppers we didn't look down on those people and we were kids. We didn't know what sharecroppers were. We just, they were just farmers. Yeah. They were just farms. That's, that's all we knew. I mean, we didn't know the ins and outs of, you know, they farmed for this guy, and he got most of the stuff. I mean, we didn't know anything about yeah. all that. They just were farmers, and they were my friends. They were neighbors. And, you know, we hung out and played. They had kids, and I was a kid. And, you know, I didn't live around a whole, just like five or six kids, black and white, that lived walking distance from where I live right now, and we all played together and listened to music together and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we, it, I said sharecroppers, but they were just farmers. But after I got older, I found out that that's what it was. Well, uh, ultimately, they were your neighbors. And my friends. Yeah. And another thing you, you've got to realize is all of these towns like Spartanburg, Greenville, were railroad hubs. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of this music was, um, you know, most of the people that worked on, on the rail lines, the actual tracks, were African Americans 
and um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, Doc Watson, one of his mentors. Uh, uh, that's where he he learned to play banjo from from a black uh, uh, railroad worker who was working on the. And a lot of these songs that, uh, you know, that the old country music, uh, the Carter family, uh, you know, even though they, they had this big catalog and they did write some, a lot of those tunes were, uh, they had a African-American guy by the name of Leslie Riddle who would take them around to, uh, you know, to these African-American homes and they would learn the songs and you know, come back and change a couple of words, and then you know, back then you didn't have, you know, all you had to do was put your name on it and copyright it because nobody else had their name on it. And you know, their big catalog, which is one of the, I think besides the Beatles, is the most expensive catalog in the, you know, in existence in music. And you know, a good portion of that was just, uh, I hate to say ripped off, but um, was taken from. Well, you know, any beat that, that is blues beat or jazz beat probably come from Africa. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of this stuff, the banjo came from Africa, you know. So, I mean, we owe a lot of our musical heritage to the unfortunate predicament that we found ourselves in in, in the Civil War era and all that stuff. Uh, probably going to say most of it. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, well, cr creativity can come from anyone. So I'm, I'm, you know, I can't, can't but say. You got to get it. You, you have to be in. Yeah, there, there has to be an influence before right. you can create. You know, or, or be inspired to create. I agree with that. And just like Steve was saying a while ago, about the songs. Okay, Peg and the guys that he played with, they did John Henry. The country guys did John Henry. Everybody did John Henry. Yeah. Just different little licks on it. But it's the same song. You know, the same story. Frankie yeah. and Albert. And, you know, old-time music, which is close kin to this talk music we're talking about, you know, you had these fiddle players that came from, uh, from Scotland, Ireland, and England. And when they mixed with, uh, mixed with uh, the what? African rhythms, you know, that's what you got was... Uh, Bluegrass, rock and roll. Well, yeah, well, you're talking about an Appalachian style there, because most of the Irish went to the hills once they got out of conscription of the Civil War Army. They, they, you know, once you got off the boat, you were pretty much, if you were Irish, you were, you were, you were treated very poorly. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, ragtime, great influence. Uh, influenced a lot of things, because it, you know, whenever we've had. Uh, uh, a big uh, some kind of world event the music has reflected that uh, World War One. we had uh, the Roaring Twenties after that with the ragtime and, and, and the vaudeville stuff going crazy it was just a hodgepodge everything and then after World War Two, we or during World War Two, we got jazz which I mean you had to have that I, I almost believe you had to have that counter of the of the, jazz is such great good music that it almost countered, I can't really say that, but, but, but I would like to feel that it countered some of that evil, you know, that was going on during that time. Uh, so so let's, let's talk about uh, some, some blues artists, uh, and these are all guys born either in the late 1800s and, and 
propelled the Piedmont style music. So let's talk about some of those, and then I'm gonna get Steve and you and Freddie. You you can demonstrate one of these, well, maybe a song by them or a song similar to what they did. Um, let's talk about Blind Willie McTale real fast. Steve, do you, uh, have you? Uh, do you know any Blind Willie McTale songs, or you got any stories uh, with, about him? Well, I know that uh, Blind Willie was born in Thompson, Georgia, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, one of the big uh, big hits by the Allman Brothers was Statesboro Blues, even though they got it from Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal. Yeah. You know. uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was he played twelve strings. He did down down around Atlanta. There was a lot of 12-string players, and um, uh, the guy that um, that that I uh, learned to play slide from, uh, Reverend Pearly Brown, he went to school with uh, Blind Willie, and uh, and Paul Jeremiah was telling me that uh, Pearly Brown was the per first person that he ever heard play slide on a 12 string guitar well blind willie was born in 1898 and and lived to uh 1959 he went to a lot of school he went to more than one one school for the deaf and blind i think he went to a georgia one and i think he went to uh some one somewhere else i can't quite remember but he may have went to about three of them uh, and he was famous for his 12 string you know, I, I I don't know too many people play Piedmont blues on the 12th string, uh, but well, most most of, most the of them did. Atlanta, <laughs> most of the guys in Atlanta, and G Gary Davis in his later days, he he, he played mostly 12th string. So a Blind Willie is is credited uh, in my research as being one of the forefront runners of Piedmont blues style and and promoting it and playing it out. Uh, like I said, he was born in 1898. My great-grandma was born in 1898. And, uh, you know, she almost lived to 100. Uh, so, she, you know, she kind of grew up during all this stuff. She was an Appalachian woman. But uh, So, yeah, when I was doing my research, Blind Willie popped up a lot. He had uh, some cool songs, too. That A to Z blues yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. You know. I gave a listen. Uh, you know, I've, I've, got a, I've got about a collection of about maybe 100 songs or so of a lot of these artists um, and I'm not particular fond of the 12 string stuff uh, but I do enjoy listening to it I mean I mean I would I play it probably not but will I listen to it yes I will um, so uh, would you guys mind doing a song in blind Willie McTell style kind of And just uh, introduce the song and, uh, you know, and then have at it. All right, let's do... Uh... Ladies and gentlemen, we're here at the New Way Lounge, downtown Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, come get you a burger, get you a nice cold beer. Um, this is a, uh, from another 12-string guitar player from... Uh, from Georgia. Um, this is a song called um, San Francisco Bay Blues. Mm -hmm. 
For my baby left her by the San Francisco Bay Well, the ocean liner took her so far away Well, it didn't mean to treat her so bad She's the best gal I ever had had Say goodbye, thought she made me cry Thought I'd lay down and die Ain't got a nickel, ain't got a lousy dime Well, if you leave, you know I'm gonna lose my mind if you ever come back to stay, it's gonna be a brand new day. Just a walking with my baby down by the San Francisco Bay. Well, I'm sitting here looking from my back door, wondering which way to go. That woman I'm crazy about, she don't love me no more. Think I'll take me a freight train, cause I'm feeling blue. Ride it all the way to the end of the line. Only thinking of you Well, meanwhile in another city Just about to go insane Sound like my baby Lord The way she used to call my name If she ever come back to stay It's gonna be a brand new day Just walking with my baby down by the surface San Francisco Bay You know the ocean liner took us so far away No, it didn't mean to treat us so bad She's the best gal I ever had had Say goodbye, thought she made me cry Thought I'd lay down and die Ain't got a nickel, ain't got a lousy dime Well, if you leave, you know I'm gonna lose my mind if you ever come back to stay, it's gonna be a brand new day. Walking with my baby down by the San Francisco Bay. Hey, hey, walking with my baby down by the San Francisco Bay. Showing up, I'm walking with my baby down by the San Francisco Bay. Ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Freddie and Steve here uh, playing some Piedmont Blues for you, New Way Lounge in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, guys, let's uh, let's move on to a different blues player. But but let me let me just uh, uh, step on, uh, start on uh, step on this uh, thought for a second. Um, all these guys that we're talking about have influenced everybody else that you know out there that plays music. Um, do not think that they don't. Uh, like we said, Blind Willie McTell, the, the the writer of Statesboro Blues, uh, Allman Brothers. There you go. There's 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 your connection to this this age, from that age. Um, a lot of these guys were revered. They were they were, uh, in certain circles, they were worshipped. 
as a blues masters, you know, like Keith Richards. He would, these guys, they, they adored these cats. Uh, they wanted to be these guys. Um, without these guys, well, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have music today as it is. But anyway, let's go on to the next, uh, the next artist I'd like to talk about. Let's talk about Mississippi John Hurt. Mississippi John Hurt was born in 1892, and he lived in 1966. Um, he, a lot of people covered him, too. Uh, Ger- Jerry Garcia, Bob Dylan, uh, Candyman. Uh, he was a big ragtime guy. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, one thing, you know, they had Alan Lomax that went around and recorded all the uh, bluegrass guys, right? Well, they had a guy named Tom Hoskins that reco- came and found him out and recorded him. And Tom Hoskins, I think that's his name. Let's see. Yeah, actually, Tom Hoskins came yeah. after Lomax because yeah. Lomax went all through the South and recorded blues yeah. also. They both, yeah, well, yeah. He, he recorded Lead Belly. Yeah. That's right. He went to jail and recorded Lead Belly, right? right. right. Uh, well, this guy, Hoskins, uh, he also recorded all these guys, and he was a big archivist of the blues. And actually, the photos that he found of Robert Johnson – one of them got used for the stamp that's out now by the U.S. Postal Service. So, uh, with, you know, without, without these guys out there looking for these fellas to record them and to, for posterity, you know, I mean, just think of all the good stuff that we had didn't hear that people were doing back then that, that were, you know, yeah, I don't want to be recorded. I just want to play, you know, stuff like that. There's probably cats out there back in that day that were just – Phenomenal that we have didn't hear didn't hear. Um, so, Steve, can you tell us anything about Mississippi John Hurt? Uh, well, Mississippi John Hurt was one of my my earliest influences. He uh, he was one of the first ones to be rediscovered. Yeah, uh, when I would uh, when I started playing this music, I thought these guys were like. Ancient. I thought they lived like a hundred years before me, mm. but um, you know, it was actually less time from when I learned it to when they were actually first recorded, as it is from the Beatles to today. It was only like thirty years um, you know, since they first recorded that I started listening to this. But um, uh, but Mississippi John Hurt, he. Uh, he influenced um, probably the earliest pickers that uh, started playing uh, this fingerstyle blues guitar because he was really it, he was accessible. Yeah, he he would teach people. Um, his style was not really complicated, but um, he was. Um, uh, there's a funny story that uh, that um, one guy, uh, I won't mention his name, but he was in a group with, uh, with um, um, Mississippi John Hurt. And like in the 60s, they were doing their thing about passing this odd little cigarette around. Mm. And he said that um, <laughs> said um, Mississippi John got it and said he kept it. And said he, you know, and said they were all just freaked out because they like little Mississippi John's not gonna have anything to do with this stuff. And said he just kind of bogarted the thing. And he says, "Yeah," says, uh, says 
because this is what we use down in, in uh, Mississippi. says, when we get a little money, we go to the store and buy us some gin. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, a, a lot of people, uh, uh, and a very lot of people have, uh, have Mississippi John Hurt as an influence in their music. Yeah. Like I said, Jerry Garcia, Bob Dylan, and the list went on and on. Uh, I only name a few because, you know, you got your Grateful Dead reference. Well, the Loving Spoonful was named yep. after a, a Mississippi John Hurt tune. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to give us a Mississippi John Hurt tune? Sure. Which one? Uh, D. What's the name of this song? Uh, let's do C.C. Uh, uh, Ryder. Yep. Yep. Lord, you made me love you, now your man done come. 
right up. See what you done done, Lord, you made me love you. Now your man done come. Made me love you. Now your man done come. Lord, you made me love you. Now your man done come. Yeah, you made me love you. Now your man done come. Yeah, you made me love you. Now your man done come. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Steve McGaha and Freddie Vanderford. Uh, we're here at the New Way Lounge in downtown Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you're in the area, come down and have a burger and a nice cold beer or a tasty beverage of any sort. Um, we're going to take a little break here and we'll be right back. <laughs> 